All right. Uh, well, Ryan, I, I don't know what you wanted to talk about. Um, but Dixon's not here, so I, I didn't know if we wanted to kill time. I think he's still maybe on his way. I, he said something about picking up some whiskey. Some, something. Who, yeah. Who's supposed to host this, though? Is it? Is he supposed to host it or are you supposed to host it? I, I know it's not me. I know Dixon is the most patriotic of all of us, so I thought he would have to host something that took place on July 4th just so he could talk about how much he loves America. Um, but I, I don't, yeah. Not but even if we do it, will we be able to get it out in time for July 4th for it to be relevant? Yeah, I mean, I'll just have Dixon edit it. That'll be easy. Like, he okay, just does yeah, it he's fast. To edit it do, or, yeah. He's going to host it and he's going to edit it? I think we could do turn around to like you. Maybe he could do it in like 30 minutes. I think he could do the edit in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes is like two hours. Yeah. Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll host this discussion for you, but it ain't going to be easy. Jaws discussion. Not like getting pissed drunk talking about a sci-fi original shit show. This kind of movie talk, swallow a host whole. Talking box office, talking production, and suddenly down you go into Jaws exploitation. But we gotta discuss it so we can capitalize on July 4th like all those retailers. Bring in your listeners. Put all your analytics on an uptrend. But it ain't gonna be pleasant. I value my hosting style a lot more than $3, Chief. Man stops me on the street, I'll talk about Jaws for $3. But in the booth, with actual structure, 10 But you've got to make up your minds. If you want to stay on your release schedule, then any up. If you want to play it cheap, be on the bottom page of an RSS feed by winter. $10 for me by myself. For that, you get the intro, the outro, the whole damn thing. Ryan, can I borrow $10? Welcome to Afterthoughts. Uh, I'm going to just take the hosting reins on this podcast. I do not have $10 to to keep this going. So we're just going to have to drive this ship together. You know where to find me. Oh, man, don't leave Robert Shaw. You're a national yeah. treasure. He stomped out of the room singing about Spanish ladies. I think we lost him. So, yes, I am Ryan King, your host for today. And joining me, we have John Garcia. Hey, Ryan, you don't even have a check for $10. Yeah. yeah. Do people take checks anymore? I feel like they're that's always they like no checks, no personal they, checks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to mail out like a four page form to get checks anymore. I don't know yeah, where that goes. We're going to bounce a $10 check and the, the fee is going to cost us more. <laughs> yeah. $35 overdraft fee on yeah. your $10 check. Oh, Dixon, you're here. Oh, my hey, God. Guys, what's up? Yeah, that voice is joining us. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's me, Michael Dixon. What's up? Uh, you know, your, your favorite Afterthoughts host over here showing up late oh. as usual. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> How'd you know you were my favorite? <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it. Uh, next to Robert Shaw, of course, who has not hosted Afterthoughts yet. But mm, yeah, that's a steep fee. Yeah. We'll get $10 that's, someday. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll it's the price of one we'll banana. That's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> yeah. come by. Well, for today, we, uh, we're going to have to get a bigger podcast because we are talking about Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. 
a mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. <laughs> which with July 4th being uh, recently passed for us. Who knows when you're listening to this? Um, but yeah, this summertime, sharks in the water, July 4th, summer blockbuster, seemed like the right time to kind of dig into not the first Steven Spielberg, but really his first hit. Why did it work? Why is it such a huge hit? No point in talking about this synapse. There's a fucking shark. <laughs> Get out of the water. <laughs> Much like Tommy Wiseau's movie, it's about a big shark. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a, yes, it's a bigger shark, but not yeah. not as big as the sharks in movies these days. Honestly, yeah. Uh, go see the Meg, everybody. That movie fucking rocks. <laughs> <laughs> we're in an arms yeah. race with sharks. <laughs> okay, yeah, fucking yes. Yeah, we're gonna go out and personally jump and spear these giant sharks ourselves <laughs> off of a sea dew. Yeah. So I, I have watched Jaws several times this is my first time revisiting it in maybe a decade i don't think i've watched it that recently um so definitely kind of going back wanting to look at it as like an older movie an early blockbuster trying to think about what actually made it successful and brought audiences in i think it was 62 million people at the time which was a pretty big box office um but try to kind of understand like why why was that driven in and i did watch it with my son um so i got his perspective as well oh nice what uh, do you think it's a pg movie so it's perfectly fine <laughs> yes <laughs> pg was a much broader category in 1975 yes. than it is today yeah ni- 1975 anything went in a pg apparently <laughs> yeah, you can put an f word in a pg movie Spaceballs proved that yeah they didn't have pg-13 yeah, yeah, until like the 80s right the mid 80s it or so. ruined pg movies forever yeah <laughs> yeah so, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I think there's interesting things to talk about, like, you know, the directing, the music, and just, you know, how it, how 1975 versus the way a movie is now, like this kind of movie and the pacing, things like that. So, but I mean, I enjoyed it. I kind of still enjoyed it. You know, that the, it works for me still. Um, but John, what are your, what's your general take on Jaws watching it? I think I've seen Jaws three times. There's only two times a year that are appropriate to watch Jaws, July 4th. And Shark Week. Actually, I'm just lying. <laughs> those are pretty it, close together, aren't you they? Can, yeah, you can, you can watch Jaws any time of the year because it's great. But those are the times when it thematically lines up with <laughs> what's going on. Because I feel like Jaws also sparked uh, Shark Week. It's it just oh, definitely. Yeah, heard so many people say that I've talked to who saw Jaws when they were a kid or whatever. Just like, yeah, I didn't go in the water for like a really long time. Just like my dad was like, I slept with the lights on when I watched The Exorcist. Like it's one of those movies. And now it's like the shark. I can definitely tell a little more animatronic. I can see those kind of things. I've seen more believable uh, shark creatures rendered, but uh, the the actual tension, the score, like the cinematography, Steven Spielberg's blocking is so fucking great. Uh, and any one scene, seeing the characters kind of splayed. It was when we watched 2001, that is similar mm-hmm. like vibe to it where like Spielberg just knows how to line actors up in, in shot composition and really just lead you through a scene and, just lets you focus purely on what's going on between the characters and the creature. I really enjoyed it. I had a fantastic time. Uh, I watched it uh, with Dixon. Um, we, we were just kind of like enraptured in <laughs> that John Williams score and how much blood there is in that fucking movie. Jeez, there's so much blood in this movie. I forgot that everybody 
gushes like they're in a Japanese samurai movie uh, yeah. the moment that they get bit by a shark. But I assume that's probably what happens. I mean, I just never seen a shark bite or a shark attack, but I imagine it's not pretty. Um, but I love Roy Schneider in it. Roy Scheider. Scheider. Uh, Roy yeah. Scheider. Roy Scheider. Yeah. Rob Schneider. I, Roy Scheider. <laughs> very different people. <laughs> yes. I love Roy Scheider uh, in the movie. I love Richard Dreyfuss in it. And of course, Robert Shaw. They make up a power trio. And um, I'm also just completely obsessed with how much Robert Shaw fucked with Richard Dreyfuss on the set of the movie and all the <laughs> shit he did. Yeah. Shaw was a troublemaker. Shaw was an instigator. He liked to get people riled up. He was totally malicious. He really thought Dreyfuss needed a slapping down. He was the kindest, gentlest, funniest guy you ever met. Then we'd walk to the set, and on the way to the set, he was possessed by some evil troll just sounds really fucked but also it's it's captivating drama that from sounds the incredible was he like method acting just like really no he was drunk there. he was totally <laughs> he was drunk. actually honestly so, drunk. Yeah. so it is so, method yes. acting uh, i guess <laughs> yeah yeah one day he was coming down the gangplank he had a glass of bourbon in his hand and he said help me out will you richard and i said you want me to help you out yeah Richard took the shot glass out of Robert's hand and threw it out the window. At which point, every drinker on the crew went, ooh. Robert Shaw fucked with him just instinctually being drunk. He, like, pointed a fire hose at his face and fucking sprayed him down in the middle of a scene, <laughs> some other shit. Just really fucked up. Uh, but supposedly it kind of built that tension between the characters even better. So, I mean, that makes sense for their character dynamic, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love the cast. I love the score. I really enjoy this movie uh, and I'm glad I got to watch it again. And it was a 4k restoration that we watched, which was glorious. It was a great time. So uh, yeah, Dixon. Yeah. I'm going to echo a lot of what you said, John. Um, yeah. The, the 4k disc was, was really great. Just a very great restoration from the, you know, original negative that just looked great. Like it looked like watching it on film, like, you know, a lot of 4k discs, they'll like do a bunch of noise reduction and try to make it look like a digital film. And this was like, very much leaning into the fact that it was shot on film in 1975 and it looked really, really great on John's badass projector. Um, but yeah, I think Jaws is an interesting movie because like I have very mixed feelings about it, about the movie itself. It's fucking great. And I have no mixed feelings about it. The implications on the culture, I have very mixed feelings about and very negative feelings about. So I, I like, I really like the movie, but I almost wish it didn't exist because of like what it did to american culture and cinema from there like i think there's an argument to be made that jaws is the most influential film of all time like you know i don't know that star wars happens if jaws doesn't happen like you know it'd be interesting to kind of talk through how this affected american cinema and american culture i, th I feel like it it led to our modern society more than any one other movie has um like, aside from that, the movie's a fucking blast. Like, it's just... And I think what, what makes it work really well are the characters that are just so... Like, the, the, the three main characters, uh, Brody, Quint, and Hooper, are just so fun and, and just really great to, to follow along with. And their dynamic between the three of them is awesome. Um, you know, you've got the, like, shitty mayor who's a hilarious character to, to laugh at and mock as you're watching the movie. And, you know, really like the core cast is is so good. They're perfectly cast for those roles and it just works really well. And then obviously the score by John Williams is so good and it just builds that tension and creates 
that horror and dread. Um, you know, there are so many scenes where, you know, instead of in lieu of visual effects, they are just playing that John Williams score and just kind of moving the camera around through the water and you're on the edge of your seat and, you know, worried about like, where is the shark going to come from? And they're, you know, sometimes they just bring it right out. Other times they have some misdirects and, and just everything in the movie is done really well. It's like a, a blockbuster that is done right, you know, and I think a lot of, uh, you know, American blockbusters now are done poorly to a degree where it almost feels condescending where it's like, well, you know, oh, you like superheroes? We're going to make this thing and like, we're not going to put a lot of effort into it uh it's gonna we're gonna cgi everything it's gonna look like shit mm. but you're gonna like it and you're gonna you're gonna go and uh you know jaws is a like a shining example of a blockbuster that is just made so well and crafted to be this really great film and it's not you know it's not like a a wonderful piece of art that is you know trying to say something about humanity or something like that it's just a really well-made blockbuster that's like kind of a dumb story but it's just super fun and it's it's really well made so yeah i i i really enjoy it every time i watch it i think this is the third time I, i've seen it um i saw it about a year ago it uh they showed it at bullock at the imax theater and i nice. saw it there and that was that was pretty cool as well so um yeah it was really fun to revisit it side note uh john and i were hanging out the the other day and he uh had, had an idea that I, I really liked and I decided to run with it where um, if we watch an action movie, we have a segment called Fight and Flight. Fight and Flight. Where we do a flight of whiskey to pair with the action movie that we watch. I don't know if Just counts as an action movie, but that sounds like it would be fun to try to do. And so uh, I am experimenting here today. And uh, listeners, let us know if you like this idea. But I've purchased three whiskeys that we are pairing with this film that like kind of match with the three acts of the movie. Ryan is in California, off by himself, drinking whatever he has on hand. But John and I, uh, for the first act of this movie, are drinking. Jack Daniels bonded. It's like an all-American mass-produced whiskey, but it's well-crafted and it's like a classic American thing, like this town, Amity, this little beach community. It's very all-American. Um, so I felt like that worked pretty well for the first act of the film to to pair with it. If you don't like Jack Daniels, I understand most of it fucking sucks, but bonded is really good and, <laughs> and it, you know, it's mass-produced, mass appeal, but it's, it's actually a pretty tasty so. we're, not, we're not sponsored by jack daniels bonded we are not we are not but i will say amity and whiskey both mean friendship to me oh uh, good point good point <laughs> nice nice uh, uh yeah i i'm actually drinking jack daniels bonded that's what no I have. shit no i don't i don't have three whiskeys and i don't have the ones you have to pair with but i'm just gonna work through my my bonded through the whole thing i had to go get something you know decent and straightforward and mixable because I had that fucking peanut butter whiskey uh, oh, or whatever. Oh dear God. Yeah. Which I yeah. was like, Nope. And immediately was like, I got to go back and get something decent. So I think that that peanut butter whiskey is the result of jaws. Uh, I want yeah, to just have Yeah. So if you hear us getting progressively more tanked, Oh, throughout this to where we're singing sea shanties you know why <laughs> i'm gonna be laying on the floor at the end of this podcast <laughs> i'm gonna be laying half in a shark's mouth at the end yeah, of this yeah. podcast yeah. on the open seas <laughs> later in the podcast when you least expect it i will reveal dun, the dun, second dun, 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 and dun, the third dun, dun. whiskey <laughs> once we finish our first whiskey so <laughs> 
So starting off, I want to I do want to talk about the story. It is relatively straightforward and simple, but I think it's interesting to 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 know that this comes from a novel that is not as straightforward. Oh, I didn't as, know this was based on anything. Yeah. Is it the old man in the sea? <laughs> anyway, sorry, um, right. <laughs> yeah, it's based on a novel that involves like subplots about uh the mafia and Hooper has an affair with the chief's wife. And oh. there's all these other convoluted things going on in the town. Uh, and they cut all of that out and just left the, it's right before July 4th, we're on an island. That's a big deal because everyone comes here for the tourist season. Shark kills a couple things. And then eventually we've got to go kill the shark. And that's it. And that, that plot's that straightforward. Oh, um, but I do think it works to be streamlined. I don't know, man. I feel like what you just described to me is the Jaws equivalent of the Green Knight. Uh, if Richard Dreyfus <laughs> is going to uh, commit adultery and then they have to go kill a shark at the very end of it. That seems like a big challenge. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> 24. Yeah. Shark. <laughs> you're, you are talking about like two different types of movies, right? If we actually have like this other intrigue, these other things going on and the shark is kind of part of it. That's a that's a movie a little bit slower pace. You have to kind of pay attention to a few different things. There's a few more characters. This one is that distilled summer movie. Mm-hmm. I was just like, look, you and, and it is more like a horror movie mm-hmm. in that idea of just like we know there's a thing after us. Like I don't need anything else around it. I don't need character development, honestly, much. Like I just need there's a thing, and we got to beat the thing, and then that's the end of the movie. We're in. We're out. I'm picturing like Roy Scheider walks in on his wife ha- fucking his neighbor or something and or fucking the mayor. That'd be great. She's fucking the mayor. And he's so upset that he wants to die. And therefore, he just plunges full on into hunting the shark and he becomes obsessive about it. And it's like he's like, I, life's not worth living. I'm going to go fucking kill this shark and, and risk everything to do this. <laughs> and then, oh, and then Robert Shaw could be. Why are we doing a treatment for Jaws? Right? <laughs> yeah, why? Right, right. That's a good point. It's very good as but, it is. But, but, but Robert Jaws, like Robert Jaws, <laughs> Robert Jaws, <laughs> Robert, Robert Jaws. Uh, yeah, Robert Shaw's character is like a dark mirror of Roy Scheider's in that yeah, yeah. scenario there, where it's like he's been just hunting. I mean, we saw his house in the movie. Or his boat shed, <laughs> just I suppose. Like a hundred shark jaws <laughs> nailed to the wall. Yeah, uh, it makes so much sense that he would be like, "Yeah, yeah." You, I guess if you want to come, I'll show you how fucking dark this can be. We'll do that. <laughs> show you Scheider. how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, exactly. And Roy <laughs> yeah. Scheider at the end's like, "I want to live again," you know, Clarence. I want to <laughs> live again. <laughs> so you say he's he's the dark mirror of it. Doesn't that mean he's been like terrorized and terrorizing by sharks, but now he's going out to have an affair with one? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> <It's totally mirrored. laughs> Jazz to the fucking. <laughs> yeah, get, you gotta be careful here giving ideas because we're gonna get a remake. The Jaws. We're gonna get a remake. Oh, I God. would. I would go out and see that on opening day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, talking about the, I would say from the plot, it is so straightforward. In like our, you know, sort of bad guy and the mayor in a way, but he gets his, you know, little bit of comeuppance by more people dying. That's um, right. One of the dumbest characters of all time in the history of cinema. Yeah. Also, one of the most true to real life characters uh, in politics. Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. Cover ups and deals. And yeah, we get a little bit of insight into each of our three main characters of kind of where they're at. And right, we have this idea of Brody, who was a cop in New York 
and couldn't take all the body count, I guess, out there and thinks he's going to come to this island and it's not going to be a big deal. And we're six months, it sounds like, into his career here. And now it's the shit hits a fan. Uh, Quint, who had this horrible incident back at the end of World War II where he saw a bunch of his buddies eaten by sharks and thought he was going to, and now he just fucks them up for a living. Uh, Hell yeah, he does. Makes sense. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he really fucks them up. And then Hooper, I guess, I don't even know if his story is true. I was like, that story's like bullshit, but supposedly when he was a kid, he got attacked by a shark and he thought it was awesome, and now he's spending <laughs> his family's money like going around and learning about sharks. Uh, but that's it. We don't really grow anywhere from that other than like Quint, you know, not ironically gets eaten by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> but just the pitching of those three characters against each other it just works so well. The yeah. dynamic of those three together is is wonderful. The guy who's terrified of going in the ocean and the two guys who really want to but hate each other, like the spoiled rich kid with all the all the toys and the working class guy who has a shitty boat and goes out there and kills all the sharks anyway. He's like resentful of this college boy. And it's just all it all works together so well. And the and the growing like friendship, I feel like, of Hooper and Brody yes. like, actually seem and to And even Quint to too, like they start to connect with him and a little uh, bit, identify yeah. with him as the movie goes on. Yeah. Until uh Hooper makes fun of his tattoo and then you get a whole serious story <laughs> about the trauma behind dark it. Fast. Yeah, it gets real dark real fast. Um I uh, like so there's also that kind of uh, three archetypes of authority. The authority of land uh, with Chief Brody is the the law. And mm. then you have the authority of academia, Hooper. And then you have the actual authority of the sea. That's what I consider uh, our, our Quint to be. And the, yeah. <laughs> I consider Quint to be the authority of the sea. The shark <laughs> is heavily challenging him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to, that's why he goes crazy and beats the shit out of a radio <laughs> with a baseball bat. He has to prove that he's the king of the sea. <laughs> Challenge Neptune himself. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really like that. I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, do y'all think this is like the only movie that can get away with somebody saying, where did you get this boat? And the character can just say, I'm rich because it made <laughs> sense. That was hilarious to me. To me. <laughs> it's funny. And I was just like, I, yeah. Okay. Usually that's kind of like a lampshading thing to fix plot holes later, but it just seemed like upright. They were like, all right. Yeah. He's, he's just rich. He just doesn't talk about it. He doesn't fucking need to. Well, and it, it wasn't yeah. like just an excuse to explain why I had this boat. It was part of his character, yeah, right? And it, yeah. it worked really well with the movie. But that conversation between Brody and Hooper was just hilarious. And they're going out and looking for the shark they, on this high-end boat that has all this radar equipment and stuff. And uh, Brody's like, how did, you, how did you pay for all this? Is this like the Oceanographic Institute? Do they just give you this? He's like, no, I put, bought most of this myself. He's like, are you rich? Yeah. <laughs> How rich are you? Me or the whole family? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Very humble in his richness, mm. his, his wealth. <laughs> but I, I do think that that plays it favors that we can just stick to the action by just yep. that's enough. That's kind of what we need to know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't need to flash back to anything. Uh, pretty, it's pretty all much going forward. Everything in the movie, much like the shark, is only seen kind of from a surface level, only as much as you need to. You only need to see a shark fin to know there's a whole ass shark in the ocean. Unless yep. it's a child thing. with a fake shark fin. Oh, yeah. Unless it's a child <laughs> with a fake shark fin, in which case you surround him with men with guns. Yeah. <laughs> Teach him to never it's trick the you again. the only time that the, everyone had a, like a successful reaction to the shark yeah. when it was a child with a fake fin. <laughs> <laughs> so... That that is actually interesting. Let's just—I was going to dig into that scene 
later, but let's just talk about it since we brought let's it up. Let's go it. It it is interesting. I agree that that's the time everybody actually freaks out and actually treats it as an issue. Uh, we at, we don't get the music, the stinger, the Jaws like you know theme that's so famous, which I was like noticing at this time to be it's so obvious it's not a shark because we don't hear the shark music yeah. <laughs> and right like everything works to where they zero in on it and then it's followed by a scene immediately where people pay no fucking attention to an actual <laughs> shark eating a guy and we hear the music and everything uh and I was, yeah it was kind of i was just thinking about that when i was watching it of like oh that's kind of an interesting like we get the fake out that you get you know sort of in a horror movie a fake out or whatever uh, but it's kind of obvious that it's a fake out. Yeah. It's almost like the audience is in on the joke, you know, like that we know that it's not a shark because the music isn't going and maybe we don't realize it on a first watch, but at a subconscious level, yeah. we kind of know that it's not real. But they're also, instead of the music, we have all of these the horrifying screams of, of all the, the people yeah. that are sprinting to the beach. And it does work really well without the music because you actually see the raw panic in these people and you hear them screaming their fucking heads off and sprinting for the shore and like pulling their relatives out of the water and there's this like you know huge reaction but then it's like immediately after they're like oh shit there's a shark in the pool and brody's like oh my god are you seriously they're fucking pulling this prank again and it's like he knows he's like the only guy who thinks there's an actual shark around yeah. Yeah. and he's not he doesn't even believe it which is kind of like it kind of unbelievable for his character. Um, you know, you'd think he would be jumping at that, knowing that his son was over there where that, you know, that alleged well, shark was. Well, he does was, once and... that, once she's like, oh, your son's over there in the pool, and he, he remembers that, and right. starts running yeah. and jumping over the fences or whatever. But yeah. yeah, until then, he's like, all right, whatever. I also liked that moment where he tells his son to go in the pond for him because there's usually, I would say in a, in a lesser film, you would have somebody explain why you go in the pond. Oh, yeah, less sharks out there or less whatever the fuck. Like, they just we over explain We haven't seen that. one there yet. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen one as far as we know any of that. But instead, it's a, it's a discussion between a teenage boy and his father in which his dad's like, do it for your old man, please. Because like his, and his son said something. It was like, like a clever, the pond's for old ladies. Like, so yeah, we'll just yeah. do it for the old man. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's one of those moments where like, hey, I'm appealing to you, go there. And that just tells the audience too, like, oh, the pond must be safe. In that moment anyway, you're like, all mm -hmm. right, the pond. Yeah, I mean, what could happen? So then when we see that whole shark thing and then we see the other, I think that the gears start turning like immediately when somebody screams, <laughs> there's a shark. Um, you're like, Oh, if that's not the shark, then the shark's going to fucking show up in that pond and mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Rest in peace. Random boat dude that rolls up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ne has no idea that shark is right on his ass until he, it is in his ass. You know, so just, oblivious. Yeah. yeah. If he had survived, you know that the life joke that all of his friends would say is if that had been a shark, it would have bit you or some shit about <laughs> the things he forgets and can't find or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> Very insensitive asshole friends. I kind of yeah. would have liked to see him survive and ha just have like bandages all over his ass and like not be able to sit down, you know, <laughs> Like that would have been kind of funny. That's for the sequel. That's for yeah. when when Brody's son starts hunting sharks in one of the other sequels. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so yeah, the the like screams of them going up the beach is also undercut with like comedic bits mixed in there, where guy like throws his kids off of their uh thing that they're floating on so he can float in. 
Yeah. Which I guess is supposed to be horrifying, but it, it's funny. <laughs> it's just like, it's funny <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, how much of an asshole he is. There's still a lot of funny shit in this of people like the, the opening sequence, which is horrifying from one perspective is hilarious from the other. Yeah. That's have a these, good point. The drunken boyfriend. Is, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. Out, yeah. Him just constantly murmuring to himself that he's coming. Wait, I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> like while he lays I'm on the beach coming. and clearly powers down. It's just like, that's hilarious. But then you immediately cut back over to a woman screaming at bloody murder. Steven Spielberg always seems to have a good grasp of when to switch the tone. And even blending parts of that. I mean, I'm not talking about later Spielberg. We're not getting into like Ready Player One and all that stuff. No, 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 no. Crystal Skull. You mean just like Jurassic Park. I'm talking about Jurassic Park, (laughs) Indiana Jones, except for the one that he hated. Um, Crystal Skull. uh, Well, he he also no, no. He wasn't paying attention during Temple of Doom. Yeah, Yeah, he was fucking phoning it in. (laughs) Yes, everyone could argue that about maybe 30 percent of Spielberg movies, honestly. (laughs) But yeah. Um. But yeah, like just those moments, there are other moments too, where it's just like, it can go from funny, like the tattoo comparison where it's just two dudes like dick measuring basically about how many tattoos they have. Yeah, it's so good. It's just fun and you're getting into it and having a good time. And then immediately it'll just take you into this long traumatic story. Yeah, it is like, you know, I, I don't know that it really qualifies as a horror comedy but that's kind of the experience of watching it right like it's almost funnier than it is scary but it's terrifying in in those scenes and it he he does that without making it like jarring like tonally like it feels like it all works together and should be part of the same movie um in a way that works really well and i feel like uh you know there have been so many movies since then that have tried to be horror comedies that are just terrible in all respects like not scary and not funny and um look at you cocaine bear yeah there you go there you go (laughs) well yeah and this isn't going for yeah this isn't going to primarily be comedy or out and out comedy right he mixes it in in a way that feels realistic mostly like Mm -hmm. I, i think there are some funny bits that are funny to us as an audience but for the most part it's honestly probably kind of funny to the people there Right. Like the enjoying the the talking about the scars and all that. And they're laughing about the things that they were doing before. Like that's characters actually having kind of a good time together. And it is a funny break for them as much as it is for us as an audience. Right. Like yeah. I would say the only like funny but not funny to the characters would be the the main like the big scene, so to speak, of uh, Scheider's throwing the chum over and the shark comes by behind him and he doesn't see it and then he backs up. Uh, and you know we're gonna need a bigger boat uh that's funny that is hilarious. even though that's like the yeah. biggest jump scare ish you know maybe moment in the movie i also love that uh, uh brody after he gets scared by the chum segment um and he's like robert Shaw's like i gotta call it in and uh he's just like you call in for a bigger boat is that what we're getting like he says that just like <laughs> yeah. an offline <laughs> it's like he's dedicated to getting that bigger boat he wants that <laughs> Also, I think Spielberg does an interesting way of building up tension in a way that makes it feel realistic to you as an audience. Yes, for um, sure. The, the, what you're talking about with the head popping out, it's tension because our characters are concerned about it. Brody is like, don't go in the water. He doesn't want the, you know, he doesn't want Hooper in the water. Hooper isn't certain what he's going to see or what he's going to find. 
you know, we, we see the boat slowly, it's in fog, like everything is built tense in a way that you would be concerned being out there. Similarly, a lot of the shots are done with this like half water, like the lens is like partially underwater, partially above water, like giving you the, and it kind of bobs up and down, giving you the same feeling of like actually actively being in that water and kind of uncertain of what you're seeing. Yeah. I, I noticed that so often with the, the movie, it was something I thought about for like a few seconds when we were just watching the boat out at sea that the camera as it's watching the boat is drifting. So it's not like a helicopter shot. They're not trying to like stage it from land. They actively wanted to get that same kind of uh, motion as the, the, that the ocean can provide with its waves. And I thought that it made it like feel way more engrossing than if you had a static shot of a boat from afar, even if you had like a really zoomed lens onto it, it just wouldn't feel the same if it was static. Yeah. There's a lot of shots that like feel like they're POV, even if they aren't, you know, like it's like, is this shark POV? Is this one of the bystanders there that's looking on at what's happening? Um, it just really pulls you into the film and makes you engage with what's going on. Yeah. I think I would also talk about, Spielberg's ability to mix all the different types of footage that he's having to work with so that we don't see a lot of the shark. I think that's like, you know, one of those bits is he knows how and when to use it. Well, I think he like was forced to, he was forced to not use it because like the shark was getting waterlogged and they couldn't actually like pull it out of the water. And like, John, you were saying that it was designed for freshwater and that it was in salt water and it was getting deteriorated. Yeah. So like it was almost a this movie was almost kind of like a happy accident where like the the shark was supposed to be more prominent and like yeah, the couple times where you see it full like, you know, jumping onto the boat, you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that pulls me out of the movie a little bit. It's like not scary anymore." And like the you know, having to work without that and create tension without seeing the shark makes the movie so much better than if you just have this derpy animatronic shark showing up in all these scenes. Yeah. In the same way, we see just sort of like pools of blood. Uh, when the girl is on the beach, she's kind of just all, all covered in like seaweed and crabs. Like you don't really actually see her like a lot of that's also kind of like left off screen for you to imagine yeah how does she how get so far up the beach by the way she's like the tide must have washed her like so yep. far up because like at night she gets attacked and then in the morning they find her and the tide seems to be at the same point at both times i'm not a fucking tide expert and i, I know i'm not the smartest guy in town but tide goes in tide goes out never a miscommunication you can't explain that but like they're up by that fucking <laughs> fence that's like 40, 50 feet up from where she was, where the waterline was, and she was mauled 40, 50 feet beyond that. It's like, how the fuck did her remains get pushed? And there's just like Those a crab carried her up. And yeah, so it's like human soup just like the, sitting there in some grass. <laughs> crabs pulled her up there, man. Crabs, the yeah. smurfs of the sea. I know that's the snorks. Uh, the snorks. <laughs> it is also like, and there's a little real shark footage for like one scene, barely. Um, but I was interested watching it, thinking about how much is shot in the ocean. Yeah. Which apparently was not very far off the ocean, but he was really careful to make sure you never saw land. It always just felt like it was always in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then how much is shot on the universal back lot and how to mix those two together? Actually, in my mind, I'm like, that's pretty tough because I'm like, you're having to film in, they filmed in Martha's Vineyard. So I'm like, you're having to film in Martha's Vineyard, all the island shots, all of your ocean work the fucking shark 
Then you have another shark in Hollywood and the back lot and these pools that you're working with and you have to intersplice it to make it look good. But I'm like, they had to have had, they had an actual Orca ship that they took out and sailed and took shots. And then they had another one that they cut in half <laughs> and stuck <laughs> in a pond and took shots with, right? Like, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And Spielberg, I would say, like, that's actually what's interesting is how in his career, I think the movies he does really successful is where he's able to kind of use some of the technology to blend together several different things. So you kind of never do get brought out of the movie. It is absolutely bonkers what the fuck happens in that cave in Temple of Doom and whatever you feel about that movie. <laughs> it does actually feel like it's possible. You stop later and you think about it and you're like, this makes no fucking sense. Like how big it is, where these rail carts go, like any of the other shit. But when you're just watching it, he does a great job of just like making it make sense to you as a viewer as the action goes by. Uh, and he's mixing together all of these different elements to make one sort of cohesive thing that's happening. Um, I think that that's like the Spielberg sparkle is he is like the a Spielberg sparkle. Is that patented? That, is not that yet. Trademarked? <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's the Spielberg sparkle, everybody. Um, it, yeah, it's one of those things like we've talked about Christopher Nolan before and how Nolan is just all about the spectacle and what he does. And I feel like Spielberg's the same, but Spielberg has a lot more love for the audience in what he makes and how he makes it and yeah. trying to make it much more believable for you rather than, I'm just trying to set up big stage pieces so that I can watch them. Um, he seems to have a, a better appreciation. And Ryan, as somebody who has multiple theories about multiple movies and will dissect and pick apart <laughs> even the smallest details, I feel like Spielberg makes movies that you can be like, all right, I feel like I can actually turn my brain off for this and I can just coast. And I don't need to, like, I can think about it later for sure, but the filmmaking itself just carries you as opposed to other movies where you have a, like, we, you and I both have a tendency to probably get more bored of what's going on because they're yeah. either gambling on an all or nothing spectacle um, that you're like, you're just going to have to wait for. And in the meantime, you just pick apart all the logic of everything the characters are saying or what they're doing. So it's, it's a real kind of magical talent that I don't know. I haven't seen the Fablemans. Um, I don't know if that has eh. any Spielbergian conjurings to it. Spielberg is almost there like, his transformation over his career is similar to how Jaws affected cinema at large, um, which is kind of weird and interesting to think about. But first of all, we're moving on to our second whiskey, folks. Fight and flight. Act two. Second bottle. Robert Jaws is my hero. John, chug that Jack Daniels bonded because we are now <laughs> drinking some Cooper family rye. This is a uh, American straight rye whiskey that uh, as we enter the second act of the film, we move away from the pristine American small town. And oh, we're still in the town, but it's things are getting darker. Things are getting spicier. Uh, we introduce Quint, played by Robert Shaw. There are people dying. It's getting a little scarier. Uh, rye whiskey is a little harsher and a little spicier and a little bit more interesting, I think, than, than bourbon. It's a little bit smoother and sweeter. So uh, this is what we're moving into for the second act as we kind of build suspense and, uh, and move forward. So, All right. Let's crack it open. Booze goes in the glass. Boom. Booze goes in your lips. <laughs> Booze <laughs> in your stomach. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting to continue the thought that, like, you know, talking about the impact of, of Jaws and where it has gone, it's like it's, it's such a good movie, but, like, 
it it totally changed studio attitudes, right? Where like studios right. used to make lots of movies at medium budgets, trying to you know make movies for different types of audiences. We're gonna make noir. We're gonna make melodrama. We're gonna make comedies. We're gonna do romance. We're gonna do all these different kind of things in order to get different butts in different seats. And then Jaws comes out and breaks every box office record that has ever existed. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, we should just do this. And studios start concentrating their money into fewer films at larger budgets. And like, oh, we just need to make something that's fun, that people can kind of turn their brains off and go and, and see some big spectacle. And it's we've just kind of gone more down that spiral toward, you know, inevitable doom where we're, we're just like, Every year, studios make fewer movies at larger budgets, and like you don't have smart adult films anymore. And like Spielberg is even getting to the point where like he was making movies that were kind of dumb fun, but they were really well made to the point where now he's just making dreck that it costs a lot of money but isn't good at all. And it still makes money because like we've been trained as cinema goers and consumers to just like eat up that same kind of shit because that's all that studios make anymore and i always think it's like it's like a chicken or egg argument right where people are like well this is what this is what people want to see they don't buy tickets to our indie movies so we're just going to make big movies but like they don't put marketing money behind their more adult smaller films they don't they don't make mid-budget movies for adults anymore, right? Like, you don't see a $70 million movie anymore that doesn't exist. It's like, it's either $3 million or it's uh, nine figures. And that's kind of it. And so it it's interesting to see how Jaws has affected cinema at large, where it's like a movie that I really like. And every time I return to it, I have a shitload of fun. But I also kind of wish it didn't exist. Yeah. And I think... It so the Exorcist was two years before and also was kind of a ridiculous blockbuster yeah. and is an excellently, it's also an excellently put together movie. Uh, but it also has a lot of technical things and it is generally trying to fuck with an audience. Like it, and that was part of the big sell was like people, you know, coming out and being like, oh my God, I, I can't believe that I just watched that. The difference between the Exorcist, it, Jaws sold shirts and lunch boxes and it also started. The yeah. people wanted stuff around it. It had a very iconic poster, and then that poster got used on a ton of stuff. The theme, which won the Academy Award in a weird way, where John Williams had to give himself the, like, had to run up and get the award and then run back because he was doing the orchestra at the Academy Awards. So he was like doing all the music for the Academy <laughs> he Awards, runs up and gets off. his Academy Award, and then runs back. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, that also, I think, added. And again, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, music uh, previous episode about how like that just becomes that like Jaws theme, just yep. it's perfect, so but also yeah. repeatable and in so many things since. I've been watching a few uh, other Spielberg movies. I watched the Star Wars episode four recently as well and five too. And like all John Williams scores and they all have this kind of panache to them where he'll weave in little bits of the character themes. He makes a theme for each character and has them all come in. You, the moment I say something like Leia's theme, you can hear it in your head. It just has that iconicness mm. to it. Even and, the shitty Star Wars movies, like Phantom Menace, the score is fucking great. Like yeah. the Darth Maul score and the lightsaber scene and all that. It's like horrible, so, horrible movie. Yes. But the music is so good. Hell yeah. Uh, and it's just one of those things where now I feel like... It, 
I was also thinking about this because uh, John Carpenter said that he always wants his scores to be like wallpaper. He doesn't want them to have an impact on the room you're in, the space you're in with the characters. He doesn't want them to influence your emotions and manipulate you. He wants them to just be like an atmosphere you step into. Like when you oh, walk into a place with different wallpapers, you definitely feel different energy from it depending on how they're light or dark or whatever it is. I would think that his Halloween score is doing more than wallpaper, but uh, yeah, I think that there's like that kind of tension, but it's just like philosophically different than something like what John Williams does with his scores. Right. Yeah. And now most movies, of course, most mainstream movies are just spectacle films. It's Marvel. It's whatever action is going on. Um, I really don't, recognize the scores in a lot of those movies it, it doesn't just yeah you I leave the theater that, and you couldn't remember a single note yeah. from yeah. the score you yeah. could put a full playlist of all the marvel movies and like put it on shuffle and ask me which movie it's from and i would never fucking know would you wouldn't even remember know. that you've heard it before yeah exactly yeah. i'd be like wow yeah. this is, is there, new to me is there music in avatar in the avatar movies <laughs> i think it's flutes it's just like reworked <laughs> titanic music that yeah is that's put what i was gonna back say into the avatar yeah movies. you can if you Slightly listen twisted. closely you can hear the digitally processed out celine dion in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah jaws just does it so many times i was saying that right after we watched it um i i really loved hearing um quint's theme come into play because you can tell when it's quint's theme it's basically any of the shanties he's sung they just make a little John Williams flourish and they put it over parts of the other part of the other pieces in the Jaws score. And it's like, oh, that's just nice. Like, that's how I know mm-hmm. something's going on. Like subconsciously, Quint is doing something that's heroic or so Quint of him. I don't or know. Fucking crazy. Absolutely. Which <laughs> yeah. is also really fucking Quint of him. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the the composers for me that I love the most that like do that similar thing that you're talking about, where just have these iconic scores that stay with you forever are any more Coney oh, yeah. and Bernard Herman. Like mm-hmm. they're just, you know, like Herman with like Taxi Driver and Vertigo and, and a lot of other um, Hitchcock films. And then Ennio Morricone with all Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns and all those that just like stay like just live in my head. And they just play occasionally when things happen that remind me of those movies, I, and it, those, you know, scores just start playing. Yeah. They make you feel cool by association or you live out the those are the ones that conjure like the actual movie in your head. Whereas, like I was saying, if I listen to a Marvel score, I'm like, this is the scene where they're all around a table talking about taking down the bad guy, I think. (laughs) Like, they all sound vaguely the same. Or, oh, this is the scene where they're all around a table talking about how they're going to pull a heist to take down the bad guy. (laughs) Uh, Any of those things. I'm looking at John Williams' IMDb page. He wrote the score for a 24-minute video called Return of the Ewok. (laughs) And now I want to find that. Oh, wait. (laughs) Is that a documentary? Yeah, I think I've seen uh, it. No, I think it was the... They did those little like TV movie. I saw a copy of this. Ewark. I yeah. saw that for $20 at a half price books. And I was so tempted to Ugh. buy a VHS tape and send it to you, Ryan. But I felt like it would just, I don't know. I felt like you'd never watch it. I thought you'd already seen it and you probably would. Oh, I've definitely <laughs> seen those bad Ewok things. This sounds no. like a, a no meta, like a meta fake documentary. We are like way off the rails here. But oh. the description on IMDb says, young Warwick Davis decides he wants to be in pictures. So he gets himself an agent. The agent gives him an Ewok outfit and points him toward Elstree Studios. There Warwick wanders from set to set looking to find the other Ewoks. 
Oh, that's one of those. That's probably one of those like oh pseudo doc behind the scenes things where they yeah, charmingly it's like a are mockumentary. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at how Hollywood's done, and I oh could just see God. Warwick Davis in a Ewok costume being like, "What are you guys doing?" And they're like, "We're rigging up the lights, Warwick." And <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh. And that was in 1982, so that's before. Like, that's definitely like that's right before Return of the Jedi. So that's like prime. Yeah, like we're still trying to cash in, fucking throw anything out there. People yep. will eat it up. <laughs> yeah, Jaws yeah. is interesting because it's in contrast to the B movies. Yes. Like this would just be a B movie, absolutely. You know, a decade before. I believe like, a decade oh, a before it was a B movie when Burt Reynolds starred in Shark. Uh, yeah, actually, yes, Shark. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but we don't, and that's where I'm like, the key piece we're missing is we don't have any really long exposition about sharks <laughs> like our scientist hooper like a couple of times mentions and talks about things but we don't really dive into like let's actually think about it and there's no mention of like oh my, it's just the he's a 20 footer uh 25 footer and yeah. that's it we don't really talk about the fact that it's a bigger shark why is it a bigger shark what happened how did this shark get so big like in modern movies have gotten back into that bullshit i like how they're talking about the length of the shark and, and quint is like you know how you tell you look from his dorsal fin to his tail i'm like wait a what okay like okay. You, you just you how you tell the length of the shark is you look at it great thank you that's wonderful <laughs> like, yeah are you supposed What's to extrapolate to where to its nose is like i don't I, like it's just it, such that, a funny throwaway line that reminds me because like th that line is funny on the surface but then i got like way deep into thought about it <laughs> like it, just because when i watched uh there's a documentary about like um whale scientists that were trying to figure out how whales communicate and they actively have to train every day to tell how far away a whale is from them. They're like, that one's oh, 200 feet. That one's this many feet. And they just go like out. Like by sound? They, by by, they have binoculars and they just have their, they try to do it from their visual sight. One has binoculars, so they're a spotter. And the other person just uses actual, just their eyes. Oh, and they wow. try to guess. And they actually correct each other based on what they think it is. And uh, I was like, that's fucking fascinating. So thinking about like nautically, how do you size up something? When uh, when Quint said that, I was like, "Holy shit, is that actually true?" <laughs> but also, I was <laughs> like, "That's fucking insane!" Like, what the well, fuck? Well, those are the only two things you can see, also for the yeah, most part, yeah. right? If the shark is breaking the surface of the ocean, you're gonna see the dorsal fin for sure, and like maybe you'll see the tail. Yeah, it's like well, I guess yeah. you would have to estimate based off that, but, and you have to yeah. get the proportions. That's like how you know uh, that the general ratio over it is. But I'm just like fascinated by those are like the way more fire from the hip kind of measurement styles. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. that's kind of rad. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie. I will say this movie does throw out you know kind of blink and you miss it kind of bullshit about sharks as well. Oh like, yeah, just trying uh, to, right. It's like nobody knows how long they live for. They can, <laughs> yeah, you know, they can be thousand years, years old. old. It's like no, that's a fucking lie. What are um, you reading a McGraw Hill textbook? Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> we we get another good like comedy ish bit when Hooper cuts open the shark that the you know the guys have caught that supposedly is the shark to find yep. out if yeah yeah it, and and there's the like they don't really digest stuff, which is like okay maybe like they stay in the stomach for a while and he pulls out like a fucking tin can and a license plate uh, he's yeah. like yeah he's will eat anything just as i <laughs> thought he came from the gulf coast and he throws out a new orleans <laughs> license yeah. plate a louisiana license plate yeah we haven't talked about my favorite scene in this movie oh, and there's a lot of great that, scenes yeah. but my favorite scene in this movie and we're already on to act two but it was an act one technically oh, I no think. i mean we're we're um, not talking about we're this in any order i'm no, just I, I know, but, introducing but, the whiskey in when i say order. that 
but I, yeah. I I put my hand on the whiskey bottle to indicate that I am an act two yeah. of my whiskey <laughs> drinking. <laughs> um, my favorite scene. Uh, I love when a small town goes full vigilante in a movie. Uh, oh, and, you gotta love it. Uh, yeah. you, you gotta. You really just have to appreciate the the uh, what is it the chutzpah. Uh, of of some of these members of the town. Are you talking about when Hooper is introduced? No, I'm I'm talking about when uh, when Bubba everybody goes and gets on and boats. And just <laughs> yeah, when Hooper, and, when Hooper yeah. shows up and he's like, you, you know those you know there. those eight guys who got in that boat, they're gonna die. I like that scene, <laughs> but I also love when they don't really have names. But I'm just gonna call them like Bubba and Daryl. They just go sure, out to the dock. Right. They go out to the dock and oh, they've yes. got Bubba's wife's like roast her holiday roast for the Fourth of July or some shit, and he's like. Like, this is a fucking holiday ho- roast. What am I going to be doing? He's like, well, get $3,000. You could buy a whole lot of roast with that. <laughs> like, they chuck it into the, the fucking water. And then Jaws just brings that whole fucking dock down. And it becomes an extension of Jaws. Um, and you're just seeing it. Like, that's such a great fucking scene. I love watching the tension of... I've never felt so gripped by watching a dock float around in the ocean or the bay. Um, as I have when Bubba's trying to swim back to shore and whoever <laughs> Daryl's like, Bubba, you gotta just trust me, Bubba. Don't, Don't turn look behind back. you. Go. Yeah. <laughs> no go, matter go. what you do, just fucking go. And, uh, yeah. it's like, all right. Um, th- that just masterful tension building without having to see the shark still. And it's at night too. It, some of this is just so bold for shooting and the lighting that it shoots in. I, I felt kind of yeah. in awe that I could tell what was going on, that it felt so competently done. This is also right on that border where they start shooting night scenes at night because like night, film yeah. technology wasn't good enough to actually capture enough light shooting at night. So you watch a lot of 60s Westerns, like a John Wayne movie mm-hmm. and the scenes at night, but you can see people's shadows because they're just dimming the scene that was shot in the day and saying it happened at night. But like you can tell that Jaws was definitely those night scenes are for sure shot at night yeah yeah it's either in a in a studio or day for night this is like yeah there's actual night shots though i will say that i was awfully confused by what time of day when they have their little like talking about their scars because it kind of seems like they just stay up all night oh they definitely do yeah yeah because that appears to be like daylight (laughs) like early (laughs) sun up and then and when they're doing that yeah in another movie, they're actually just hallucinating that they saw Jaws <laughs> because of their insomnia in the ocean. Because of the apricot schnapps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that, that Quint asks as part of his payment a case of apricot schnapps. It's just like that is the least likely alcohol that I would have expected him to utter. Yeah. And it's fucking hilarious. It's <laughs> so good. Apparently he drinks horrible shit because whatever shot he gives to uh to uh oh, oh it's yeah. his own homemade shit too right? yeah he's like i made it myself <laughs> <laughs> oh man i also love the scene where hooper goes to brody's house and like that night after they catch the shark that isn't actually jaws and he brings over two bottles of wine he's like i didn't know what you were serving i brought red and white and they sit down at dinner and <laughs> Brody just opens up the bottle of red and pours himself a pint glass full of red wine. <laughs> just yes. like hands the bottle to to Hooper and like you know he pours a normal glass and Brody's just like starts chugging the shit and he's like, "What do you say we have another drink and then go down there and cut that shark open?" And he's just fucking chugging this pint glass of red wine and you know he's about to pour another one before they go down there. That's also like Hooper sits at the table and he goes, "Is anybody eating that?" And takes yeah. what is probably yeah. Brody's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> just starts eating it. Uh, Doesn't wait for an answer. 
just is anybody eating that and just starts shoveling in the that also leads mouth. into that other great like again we're just at this point recounting fantastic dialogue between the characters in this banter but uh-huh. uh like that whole segment where <laughs> fucking hooper is just like you're gonna come onto the boat with me and we're gonna go out and check out that w- what's going on we're gonna go take a look at night and brody's like no i'm not i'm not drunk enough and hooper's like yes you are you're absolutely <laughs> drunk enough <laughs> i saw you drink all that wine you're definitely drunk enough it's great uh just a fantastic uh, back and forth between these characters and that just it just constantly spielberg is molding your love for all of these characters despite the fact that they have differences they have fights and everything it, it draws you in no matter what i never felt like i hated any one of these characters despite oh no even when Quint, except the mayor yeah i mean the mayor yeah you're he's, supposed to hate the mayor yeah yeah well i fucking wears a suit full of anchors on it Dude, okay? his suits are, yes yeah, oh else. my god those those sport coats <laughs> holy shit like baby blue with anchors and fish and pinstripes and shit. Just everything. Absolutely wild. Yeah. And his right hand man who looks like, he looked like Carl Reiner or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> just like got to have these shops open. Um, that whole gang. Yeah. I was just like, even the coroner who fudged his fucking report, just they're all made to be scummy. And yeah, these are the people that would totally fudge the numbers so they can get more money in the, the fucking small town. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, like all the main characters themselves, like even when Quint bashes a radio, which is like beyond logic. That's when you see there's an actual logical reaction on screen to give you that catharsis as an audience. When Brody's just like, the fuck are you doing? Like, what what, what the hell is this? What's going on? Are you a madman? And yes. Yeah. And Quint is absolutely <laughs> mad. Um <laughs> To the point where whenever Brody's wife called too, he did that quick where he's like, oh, we only caught a few Marlins, blah, 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 gotta go. <laughs> Just like hangs up. <laughs> Just that shit. Um, th- those moments, they only draw you further into the, it feels like this interesting balancing act between loving a character, um, actually relating to them and loving the actual suspense, the spectacle and the drama that you're being pulled into and I think that it just, it's the peanut butter and chocolate of this, mm-hmm. this movie, how it's done so well um, that by the end of it, you're actively like, fuck no. Like when Quint gets bitten in a half by jaws or when, uh, uh, when you have Hooper in the cage and the cage doesn't do shit to fend off. No. Jaws. Yeah, no, no, it lasts <laughs> no time. And like every character predicts that except Hooper, you know, like he's like, no, it's going <laughs> to yep. be fine. Like, he's got his academics. He's got his, uh, uh, you know, all of his theory and everything else. He's a city boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think if Hooper had an affair with Brody's wife, you wouldn't be as invested into him. Right. Yes, that's oh right. no, I want Quint to have an affair with Brody's wife. Or <laughs> that, the mayor. That would be fine. Quint yeah. or the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't you change go to work, Quint. <laughs> I go to your house. I go in your wife. <laughs> your wife's in the house. <laughs> Kids in your wife. <laughs> uh, another good Spielberg shot that that just made me think of when the mayor and Brody are walking and talking and the mayor's talking about like we have to get it. You know, it has to be this shark. We have to get it open, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then we pan past the billboard slowly oh, yes. for Amni. Yeah. And yeah. and then there's the, uh, it's been spray painted on, drawn on or whatever to add a shark and a shark fin and like big it. bug eyes on the, on the woman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's like a great reveal, like to that comedic bit, the way that that kind of works in a scene. And again, I'm like, it feels natural that it could happen and it's funny like it it sort it works yeah and the mayor is like 
you know, Brody, you need to find these vandalizers. You know, these people are destroying public property and blah, 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 blah. You need to stop looking for sharks. You need to start looking for these pesky kids. And then, like, yeah. you pan out even further and the people are still there spray painting. It. It's like <laughs> they're right fucking there behind them and they can see them when they're having that conversation. We can't as an audience until the camera keeps panning further. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like so undermines the bullshit authority of the mayor at every turn. And it's just like it's great yeah yeah well at the beginning of the movie i like there is that background that th of the kids that are causing trouble that at the beginning when he's already on the like i gotta grab a sign i gotta get and he's like just, just takes the shit from the ace hardware or whatever it is yeah, to go yeah. stick it down on the beach and the people that are coming up to him and like hey the boy scouts won't get off this pier and they're you know and, and all this little <laughs> shit that's like not a concern yeah that one guy that's like, there's some kids that have been doing blah, blah, blah. And it, it's that's it's the contrast of he moved from New York where he had too yeah. much death to a small, quiet town where he just had to put up with bullshit. It's like hot fuzz. He's just like trying to chase. OK, and shit. yeah, uh, there's there's that like um, kind of aspect to it that I thought that those were great details too to have the little like the moments where the townsfolk are bringing bullshit to him. And Brody's just like, hey, if I can put it on my desk, tell me about it. Even when he's yeah, investigating that guy, when he's like on shit. the beach and he's terrified and he's like staring out over the water the whole time. And that guy walks right up to him and he's like, there's a car parked outside my house that might <laughs> need to get moved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, just so disaffected by what's going yeah. on. Also, there's that in that scene, there's the vertigo shot where. Um, you know, like he sees what he thinks is a shark on the water. I think it turns out to be, no, it is a shark, right? No, it's a real no, shark. No, no, he hears a scream. Here's a scream. And it's a woman being lifted by her boyfriend from under the water. Yeah. Well, he yeah sees but all then, these but then there is, there is a shark. That's, oh. when, that's when the boy dies in that scene. The like, you know, 10 year old out yeah, on that yeah, float. That's right, that's right. And they show, uh, uh, Roy Scheider on his face and they do the vertigo shot where they're like pulling back and zooming in and it's warping all of the stuff in the background around him yeah. and it's like clearly clearly spielberg has seen vertigo and is trying to use that shot to to get this effect of like really pulling you into like the shock that uh brody is experiencing as he's seeing that go down and that works really well and it's like one of the most iconic post vertigo versions of that shot you know that that like stays in people's minds like oh that shot's fucking cool yeah uh, that shot since then has been abused so many times. Yes. So yeah, like absolutely just because it feels cool or it's jarring in a way. It's like the Dutch angle that's been overused as well. Mm -hmm. Battlefield earth. I'm looking at you. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, those, those, those moments, that subconsciousness to Spielberg's kind of play with the camera, just fucking greatly accent it. And I remember what I was talking about earlier with, uh, the, um, kind of small town politics and stuff. I was thinking of midnight mm. mass also beyond oh, hot fuzz. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a whole other thing. That's the same kind of like, Hey, we need you to go check out this. And it's just like, all right, some bullshit. And so when something phenomenal happens and I don't mean that in a good way, I just mean like, this is abnormal. Yeah. Uh, that it's, it, it amps up the tension. It like really raises the stakes for the character. So I felt like, uh, the, the chief definitely had it cut out for him. Brody is just like, I've, we have not, I've just moved here and I haven't had to deal with a shark. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Um, we didn't even talk about probably the most, to me, the most traumatic scene is the boy being fucking murdered, which is right after that yeah. vertigo mm -hmm. sequence. Uh, and, and that whole sequence, 
with the woman. It's all set up from the beginning, too. Yeah. There's Chekhov's child, man. Uh, he's just like, can I go back in the water for 10 more minutes? And his mom, who who I don't like, I, I don't even know. It doesn't really look like mom to me. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> she that feels, looks a little old to have just, a 10-year-old Yeah, I felt kid. really ageist saying yeah. that. But it was just like, I don't know. And she was just like, yeah, you know, you can go in. And then when everything fucking hits the fan and you just see him. But there's also like, not only do they focus on him, they're not just like, there it is. There's a dog. There's all this buildup piece after piece of it's uh, Alex. That's the kid's name. And then you have a dog who goes into the water. And then you have this boyfriend and girlfriend and the girlfriend screaming and the boyfriend's lifting her up. And everybody else is, is kind of like gently swimming in. Then there's like a whole gang of kids that just run right into the water too. And you're like, who the fuck could it be? And it's this, it's the, it's the Hitchcockian thing of setting the bomb and letting you know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's a shark out there. Brody knows there's a shark out there. Uh, kids in the water, sharks in the water, like <laughs> you're fucking going for it. And that moment when he gets bit and you get the John Williams score and everything else leading up to that foot, you're just like, that part of it's kind of concealed. And then you just watch the kid go down and blood everywhere. People screaming and Brody immediately just being like, get out of the water. And this is a moment where Ryan, I don't know if you laughed, Dixon, I don't know if you laughed as well. I can't remember, but everybody running into the water made me slightly laugh because yes. it's a moment <laughs> where opposite. I was just, I was like, no, <laughs> don't do the thing he's telling you not to do. But then they come back Fuck out. The and man, we're they're, running into the water. <laughs> they're all trying to get everybody out of the water. And I was like, OK, yeah, I understand yeah. for the kids. It makes perfect sense. But just that initial lapse of what the fuck is happening. Um, and then once all the chaos has subsided and there's just everybody's back on shore, as far as we know, the mom is like Alex and calling for him in all directions. And then all that you see is his deflated raft washing up on shore with the blood it's just blood mm-hmm. drenched how much food coloring did they dump into that ocean <laughs> it was just yeah. washing up on yeah. the beach red 44 baby yeah. <laughs> there you go i think too like the the scene to me that has the greatest emotional impact that is like very different than the rest of the movie but it's so well done and it lands so hard is when the morning mother walks up to him when they have like yeah. caught the alleged yeah. shark that isn't the real shark, but she walks up to Brody in like full morning dress, like veil, black clothes. And she's like, I just heard Brody that you knew there was a shark in the water and you didn't close the beach. And now my son is dead. And she like slaps him in the face and just goes on this long rant about what a piece of shit he is. And Brody just sits there and takes it. And then the mayor, then she turns around and leaves and the mayor's like, don't don't worry. She doesn't know, you know, she's not right, you know, what what she said. And then (laughs) Brody's like, no, she was definitely right. Like, and and Brody, like, you know, Brody knows, like, he, even though he knew there was a shark and he was trying to push back against the mayor, he knows that he didn't push back hard enough, right? And he could have potentially done something, even though his boss is telling him, no, you can't do what you think you need to do to stop this terror he caves to his boss and decides you know to just go along with what he's been told when he knows in in the back of his head that he is right and it's like i i i like that it it sets up brody as a character that you can really get behind and care about because he accepts his failure and he knows it's his fault right and like 
yes, the mayor is more at fault. If the mayor wasn't an idiot and told Brody, yeah, you can, yeah, absolutely, close the beaches, then it would have happened and the kid wouldn't have died. But, like, he also knows that there's still some level of guilt there, right? Like, you can't just fucking write it off, Pontius Pilate, wash your hands of the thing and blame everybody else, right? Like, uh, and, you know, I think that, that sets up his character really well and makes you really care about him throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, that scene is immediately followed by him sitting with his son at the table where his son starts mimicking, mimicking him. him. Yeah. yeah, which is a great scene, too. Yeah, where he's got his head in his hands and his son is doing the same thing. It's and, kind of uh, sweet yeah. and beautiful. And he's like, give me a kiss. Give us a kiss. And the kid's like, why? And he's like, because I need it. Uh-huh. Like, just yeah. In that moment, uh, heartbreaking. Um, yeah, like that, that whole sequence, this is the difference, the dividing line between this being a, a thriller that has a lot of heart and great filmmaking and an exploitation film is in an exploitation film, that mayor would have gone out on the boat with them and been eaten by the fucking shark. That would have been and fun. But, that would have also yeah. been fun, but that's also like the easy path to a gratification. And yeah. here it's way more about getting invested in the characters, getting invested in the, the actual action going beyond, beyond that moment. There's only one scene where the mayor vaguely gets the comeuppance and that's in the hospital when he kind of has this realization where I feel like that's a turning point for him. He says, yeah, my kids were on that beach too. And I feel like that's an interesting overlap for him where it he's is trying to use it to diffuse Brody's anger but he also realizes that he's bullshitting him using his kids and using that excuse in this tragedy. And he just is like, Brody's like, just fucking sign this form. And he, he goes ahead with it. Like, I think in that moment, it's so pinnacle for the mayor. Um, yeah. And I think it's too, like he's realizing that he's full of shit, right? Like you yeah, see him realize yeah, it on camera. Like you don't know that his, that he even has kids until that point. And like yeah. knowing that, his kids were on the beach while he's trying to encourage everyone actively to get in the water because he needs the press to write an article about how safe the beaches are. Right. And like, even though there are all these tourists there that are spending money at all the local businesses, he needs them to go in the water so that the journalist can write a positive article and get more tourists to come. Right. And like his kids are there and he doesn't give a shit. Right. Like this guy is the scum of the scum of the scum of the fucking earth. <laughs> And he is realizing that on camera, how pe- how much of a piece of shit he is. And like, that's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting scene how it unfolds. Yeah. There. Anyway, I want to talk about the actual hunting of the shark. And so we're moving on to yes. the third whiskey that we're going to be drinking here for the final act of the film. Fight and flight. Act three. Third bottle. We're going to need a bigger glass. This is Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Uh, this is a uh, Scottish whiskey that is a coastal whiskey that will punch you in the teeth, uh, just like Jaws himself, and it's called Beastie. Uh, so I felt like it was a fitting whiskey for can the give final us, act of the film. Can you give us a Scottish pronunciation of the title? I can give you that. That's uh, fine. We Beastie. Uh, <laughs> there you that's, go. That's probably, that's that was your Scottish trump. A wee Beastie. <laughs> um, we Beastie, don't we, folks? <laughs> We love, we love, we beast, we folks. A big, beautiful whiskey. It's a wonderful deal. I have friends call me that. I don't know all the time. And I'm like trying to do an impersonation or an accent. Like you're just doing Trump. And I'm like, fuck you. Just you're fall right. into I, Yeah, um, you just can't I just stop. slip into Gotta it. Gotta switch to Robert Shaw. <laughs> we beastie. Yeah, let's dig into act three, the back third of this movie, which is just our, 
our three heroes question mark going out on the ship to kill the actual shark which i do love that like there is a certain amount of the first shark that gets caught and hooper's like it could be this shark we don't know you know 100 percent. i don't think it is because the bite's not big enough once they get on that boat and the first time they see that shark just pull the fucking barrel under i, I like that all three of them are like yeah, this is this is the shark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there's no more question. <laughs> I love the methodology that they use to hunt the shark. It's like you don't really think about it before they get to the. How are they gonna fucking actually catch this thing that's so big? You know, you have Quint super confident that he's gonna be able to get the shark, and you see like the fucking hundreds of shark jaws on the wall of his shack on the on the beach. Which like, if I ever own a shack on the beach, that's how I'm decorating it. Uh but you know, like you you don't really know like how are they gonna go about this? And then and then you get out there and they have these like massive yellow empty plastic barrels that they like tie to a harpoon and shoot the harpoon at the shark when they see it so that like it can, you know, it can't go underwater because it has this balloon basically pulling it up to the surface and it's a really brilliant way just to think about how you would hunt something like that but also visually it's so good because you know you can see when the shark is like oh no there's no way with two barrels you could go underwater and then he does anyway and they're all in shock and you are as a viewer and then you see it surface again at another point you can kind of track where the shark is underwater and how he's trying to attack the boat and you can kind of see the strategy of the shark as he's trying to take on his prey and it just works really well as you're following this and like you know sometimes you lose the shark for you know multiple hours and they start sharing war stories about all their scars but like you know in the back of your head like that barrel's going to show up again at some point and yep. it just it, it it just works so well as they're as they're tracking this fucking thing it's it's just a great scene it's funny because when we were watching this movie dixon your uh current lady friend who uh, loves disney we were talking about what jaws would be like as a disney film and you were like <laughs> oh the the alligator or the crocodile from uh, yeah. Peter, Pan. Peter Pan yeah and it's that the yellow barrel is the uh, the same like the thing as the ticking clock. clock. It's yeah. the exact same thing. You see mm. that as long as you see it or you hear it, you know something's happening. And that <laughs> I was like, with the, in that moment, I had that overlap, and I just was like, wow, he was it, Dixon predicted like right before we watched it, you said something like that, and I was like, <laughs> holy fuck, he's he's talking about this. <laughs> that is one thing I was gonna say. Spielberg does. You, you mentioned like Chekhov guns. Check off children. You show a child in Act One, you got to kill him in Act Three. It's just that's that's right. just how it works. <laughs> yes, those are yeah. the laws of screenplays. <laughs> but as I was gonna say, Spielberg does this sort of like laziest check off where he he will show you things a couple times, and the first time you see it, it it completely lampshades. This is important. It's not sort of the like later you're like, oh yeah, that thing, like kind of comes back to you. It's like the first time you see it. And, it, you know, in this case, it's like the the cartridge, the CO2 cartridges or whatever, like kind of bump as they're going on the boat. And Hooper's like, oh, those things will explode. And you're like, that thing's going to explode. Like, it just is so on the nose. Yep. But he does that. Like, Spielberg will, like, zoom in on something or kind of cut, like, turn the camera a bit to show you something and just completely set it up in the same way. I'm like, the barrels are, like, over the top obvious. But it it does work. Like it just goes ahead and gives you that. That's the turn off your mind. Is like it tells you everything you need to know, and subliminally you'll get it if you don't. It's on the nose. It's there. Yeah, the yellow barrels they stand out on the boat. They definitely visually grab you. 
from that perspective. There's also a lot of things in terms of the way that Spielberg does blocking, how he shows things. You can really pick up on any of it uh, once you've seen it once and you go back and you're just scanning the film for other pieces that tell you something. Um, I, I think that Spielberg does the right amount of space between when he does that and when you actually find out that it's going to be put to use. Like you maybe have 30 seconds of, oh yeah, this is going to happen. And then it happens as opposed to, again, in any schlock that we have watched, uh, you're like, they're going to fucking do that. And then they fucking do that. There's no way that you could ever miss when a schlock movie is trying to show you something or telegraph because they just ham fisted in and don't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Spielberg yeah. really just layers it on with comparisons about scars and uh, sea shanties that Robert Shaw sings and whatever <laughs> else that will distract you and delight you. And you're like, who the fuck are these characters? And by the time that you've come back to the actual narrative pivotal points, you're like, Oh, that's right. That was there. And it, immediately you hook back into it um, i like to have visually how the barrels they're like in this row and when they shoot one of them off into the shark they all scoot forward yeah. in the, in the mm -hmm. thing and it's like it's almost like it's reloading like the ship is reloading yeah. barrels and like it it's like something that like you always see it when they shoot a barrel all the remaining barrels move forward and it's like reminding you how many barrels they have left yeah it's like and a ticking like, clock yeah it has that same kind of essence of we only have this much left and we don't know if it's going to be enough because when they say, Oh, it's got one barrel. It can't possibly go down. Then it's got two and three. And it's like, there's no way that the barrels could possibly go under and they keep doing it. Uh -huh. And you're like, I don't know if I can trust the barrels anymore. I don't know if I can trust anything on the boat uh -huh. that would actually kill this thing. Well, the boat is falling apart at that point. When they've got yeah. three barrels in it, the boat is like falling apart because the shark is like rammed into it and fixing the into the side of the boat and it's like collapsing in, into the ocean by then. And yeah, it's just. I, uh, I like yeah. at one point uh, the shark hits and it knocks over the lantern and part of the ship catches on fire. Yeah. And Quint just matter of factly is like, bro, you put that fire out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got more important things to do like quint is yeah. always ordering people around because he is the sea god and he has to <laughs> order around everyone else to do the grunt work you know like yeah, yeah throw that chum into the water right? you know like brody's like why doesn't hooper have to throw the chum into the water like, hooper drives the boat i missed i'm mastered i'm captain what all he lists uh, off yeah he is captain ahab basically in this yeah, movie exactly. and it's just it just works great you know it's just uh yeah that that whole sequence building up to it and of course i mean we don't really need to talk through the shark being killed we but it, it it's a fucking great scene it still is. because yeah. the whole ship goes down everything piece by piece you're building that still building that tension of who survives because we've seen hooper hanging out on the bottom of the ocean yeah we don't know what what his deal is and we've seen quint yeah, get eaten alive done. by yeah, the shark Quince. like that's the one scene where like the shark like comes up on the the stern of the boat and you're like oh, okay that's animatronics that looks pretty fake when he's like moving around and stuff but then when he like gets quint in his mouth and, and it like zooms in closer where you can't see the whole shark that looks more real i think than when they're just showing the whole thing kind yep. of flopping around um and it's hilarious to see quint die and just like you know yelling unintelligible bullshit drunk on apricot schnapps and getting drawn down yep. into the water it's like that's the only way that he could go right like he has he's to like die. A, that's yeah. just how this is gonna go but it's still very satisfying to see and then you got like you know brody's just stuck up there as the boat's sinking and doesn't know what the fuck to do and like 
tosses the CO2, the extra CO2 can into the shark's mouth and, you know, somehow like right before the boat falls into the ocean, ocean shoots the CO2 can in the shark's mouth and just fucking obliterates it. You see blood flying everywhere. Him and, just... uh, yeah, and, and him and uh, Hooper paddle back to land on two barrels and whatever is left of the boat. Yeah. And then you go. It, it just rolls credits right from there, too. It doesn't even fucking it, care. Yeah, they don't even get back. You see him as the credits are rolling slowly, get to the beach. Appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that they did not do any, oh, he's going to hug his wife. and Yeah, no, they kids. ended it at the right point, for sure. Honestly, I, I almost wish they ended it a little bit earlier than they did, and but they definitely didn't need to bring it back to land and like yep. deal with the aftermath of, of the shark and all that. I, I feel like Every modern director and producer, like before they go make a movie, needs to sit down and watch Jaws. It's like, like a film school thing. Yeah, because it's like you. It's like if you're gonna make a mass appeal, big budget movie that you're just trying to sell a bunch of tickets and make a bunch of money, like you can do that and make a good movie. It is possible. Like, go watch Jaws. Look at how they did that. Actually, think about how you are staging things, how you are building suspense throughout the film. And I, I wish more studios would think, because like, you know, this was the first blockbuster. It led to kind of the garbage cinema that we have today, but it was a good fucking movie. And there's no reason that we have to live in this world where modern cinema is just like whatever direct we put out that is based on some stupid IP that we think is going to, you know, get some people to go see it. Like you can actually make a good movie and like, Hey, let's think about how we're going to stage these scenes. Let's like storyboard this out. Let's do some practical effects. Let's bring in some, you know, write some interesting characters, bring in some actors that can actually portray those characters in a fun way. And just like, there's so few blockbusters that do that anymore. And like, you know, it's, it's like that. This is my, my mixed feelings about jaws. It's so good, but it led to this shit that we live in now. And I'm just like, man, like if, there's no reason that this movie had to create this world that we live in. It's just like people took all the wrong lessons from it. It's like the reason Jaws sold so many tickets is because it's a good fucking movie. And like, I I wish that modern Hollywood would look back on this more and think like, okay, how do we do movies like this today and make them, you know, it's like, you know, I know Ryan, you're going to roll your eyes. Top Gun Maverick is a, is a modern (laughs) blockbuster that just like did a bunch of shit in really practical ways and and they made a really fun movie that was really good and they sold a shitload of tickets right like it's possible to do it it just doesn't happen very often well i think it's interesting that we talk about spielberg's career and where it's at like he's making a summer blockbuster now he doesn't give a fuck about right Um, yep yeah but we talked about james cameron before and i'm like terminator 2 is also like a fucking excellent oh yeah perfect action movie blockbuster and then i'm like yeah he kind of fucking phones it in with avatar like i've enjoyed them but they are he's spectacles. he's working they really are hard on them but only on the technical side and not on right. anything else like they're shit scripts terrible characters yeah, they're just fully spectacle yeah have you guys seen any of the sequels i have not and i i i want to because like i actually really like shitty like sci-fi channel shark movies like they're horrible but like getting some friends together and drinking whiskey and watching those movies is a really good time oh yeah and like i i probably should watch the jaws sequels at some point like i've heard they're all awful and i'm sure they are yeah they're awful but like i'm surprised we didn't death pack this one john (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i i do like i i'm going to watch the jaws sequels at some point but i'm curious if you guys have 
I have not. I've only watched the interview with Roy Scheider where he admitted that he hated having to do Jaws 2. Yeah. Now, maybe you want to watch Jaws 2 even more. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it sounds like you have. Yeah, I've seen them. Um, they're bad and they're and they're kind of just stupid. And at the same point, I think the other problem is that they get more shark action and the effects are all still kind of crappy. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, like Jaws 3 is fully just like, oh, we want to capitalize on 3D. We want to capitalize on the Jaws name. We want to jump scare a fuck ton. We want to throw shit at the audience. Like it, the gimmicks it goes in. all the way back to a B movie. It goes back like completely the other direction. Yeah, it's a like 50s sci-fi kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like kind of, right? Where it's just like exactly that kind of like crappy, you know, B movie. Uh, yeah, exploitation. It fully immediately becomes an exploitation of itself. Jawsploitation, yeah. As as uh, the Robert Robert Shaw, he was here earlier. He he said that, right? Yeah. Was yeah, at the yeah. What a cool guy. Yeah, so cool. So, and I think that <laughs> we see that a lot, right? Like we talked about Jarhead. How many movies just immediately the sequels are already fully derivative of themselves? They're the 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 best example of why there doesn't need to be more of these movies. It's you know what it's like, and this might be the the booze talking, but uh, it's, it's like, definitely the booze it's talking. The absolute, Mr. Booze. <laughs> Mr. Booze. Mr. Booze. Have you heard that song? It's great. Uh, <laughs> not. Mr. B Double O Z. It's like seeing the Mona Lisa and going, chicks are hot. Uh, like you, you, you see, okay. you, you, no, no, like we'll run with me on this here because you see the Mona Lisa and you ignore all of the Too subtleties and the <laughs> hobble with me on this one. All right? <laughs> you see the Mona Lisa and, um, I, I'm just assuming anybody sees it and you, instead of registering the subtleties, the subconsciousness of the, the subtle smile or any of the brushstrokes or any of that shit, you instead see a woman there and you just immediately objectify her. And that's to me what seeing Jaws as a studio is. They go, wow, that's a lot of money. That, uh -huh. that shark's scary. That shark could make more money. That shark good. And that's what they do. They mm -hmm. don't give a fuck about any of the other aspects. Cash. Of it. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. go for it. Right <laughs> into it. And it just, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like, all right. Which uh, explains why all those movies fucking absolutely suck. Cause, and Jarhead as well. Because they just fucking miss the point. Of, of any of what the original was trying to do. Yeah. Story-wise. I will watch the Jaws sequels at some point, and maybe I'll report back on this podcast about it. Let us know them. when you get the 4Ks. Uh, I don't <laughs> think... Well, actually, Jaws 2, they just came out with in 4K. Vinegar I am syndrome? not planning to purchase it. <laughs> I don't need... I don't need oh the 4K God. restorations. You of the say sequels. that now, and then you're in a half can price you... books, and it's three dollars, and you just yeah, can't right. pass it up, Who can knows? you? Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. If it's three dollars, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned about Jaws? I feel like we've picked it clean to the bone. Yeah, we've gone uh, super long on this. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm loving this whiskey, John. What was your favorite whiskey that you had out of the three? The Jack Daniels Bonded, the Cooper Family Rye, or the Ardbeg Wee Beastie. I believe it was the Wee Beastie. The Wee Beastie uh, is a, fucking great. I love it. This is definitely my I had favorite. A, a of the fantastic three. time with the Wee Beastie. You yeah, know? I love me a good peaty scotch. Yep, Wee Beastie goes in the glass. Glass goes to my face. <laughs> wee Beastie goes in my stomach. Uh, <laughs> it's just a great time, honestly. Wee Beastie um, goes in your dick. <laughs> wee Beastie goes in the toilet. <laughs> 
All right, so we have our we have our take on our whiskeys. Let's yes. uh, I guess we'll go around and give our final. Ryan, how was your Jack Daniels bonded? That I assume you had. <laughs> I assume you had three drinks of it. Oh, my Jack Daniels was good. I did actually like accidentally hack up the last shot of it, but <laughs> <laughs> you hacked it up. What? <laughs> yeah, it did explode out of my mouth at the very end. But otherwise, did, take. <laughs> did it hit your hit the back of your throat and trigger a gag reflex? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's I just yeah, I took it down just just yeah. not right. Well, Ryan. You would recommend this, right? Yes, I would recommend it. I'll say um, Logan enjoyed it as well. Like this was uh, um, for him. I, I enjoy going back and seeing these where I'm like, they don't have the cultural cultural touch points as much. Mm-hmm. Like Jaws is there, but it's much more subtle and not as in your face where you know like every fucking thing about it. Yeah. Um, so he gets to sit and enjoy it. He jumped out of his fucking skin when the head popped out of the boat. Oh, um, yeah. That one definitely got him. Um, and otherwise, like he, he was tense. He spent a lot of the movie saying like how stupid everyone was um, <laughs> of like, why are they doing that? Don't go in there. Don't go in the water. Like it's a horror and, movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Down to the point of he's like, someone's going to get tangled up in those lines right before fucking Hooper gets <laughs> caught in the line. He enjoyed it. Uh, he sounds like your son. Yep. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, yeah, obviously I recommend it enough to make my son watch it. Um, yeah, I think it's a classic. I think it's a watch. I think it holds up just because it's so enjoyable in of itself. Even if you're like, oh, it's dated, it, it still just is a fun watch and especially the character interactions. Yeah. Uh, John, would you uh, recommend it? I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, I had recently an experience where I watched it and it didn't pan out too well. Somebody in the audience just talked a little bit too much for me to enjoy Jaws. Um, this is so not the recent was not, watch that you and I Not shared. at all. Yeah. That was a very <laughs> quiet and engaged watch. There was occasional commentary from anybody in the the, the gallery, as it were, and it was fine. Um, but yeah, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Every time that I've seen it, even during that watch where I couldn't really pay too much attention, the score would bring me back. The characters would bring me back. There were still moments that just suck you in, and I fucking love it. It's great. Um, Sasha also, she bemoaned that she would have to watch it one more time in the span of a month. Uh, she was like, I don't have to hurry watch Jaws. Wait, did you guys just watch it a month ago? It was when, Yeah, we watched it like a month ago, and... So Sasha was like, we just watched it like a month ago. Why are we going to watch Jaws again? But she also had a jump scare when that floating head came out. She was very engaged and totally like just seems to have been uh, fully on board with it by the end of the movie. And we all cheered, uh, I think, inside. I don't think we cheered <laughs> vocally, but it was just like, hell yeah, when Roy Scheider just was like smile you son of a bitch oh yeah um, great line yeah just fantastic that's the uh, good i would recommend um how about you dixon uh yeah i would definitely recommend it um i yeah the, the movie's just so well done i i really appreciate the artistry and the care that is put into crafting the film and it's just like it's something that's like you know you hear a douchebag like me talk about how like oh this movie is so well made but like you it you don't notice it while you're watching it, right? Like you watch it a second and third time, you're like, oh my god, this is just so well put together. But like you watch it on the first view and it just grips you so much throughout. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Jaws, right? Like it's a it's a movie that anybody can can get behind. Um, you know, like I love like depressing independent films and yeah, I you and do. I really like Jaws, right? And uh, you know, like if you know. 
different people who have different kinds of boot tastes. Like everybody, everybody likes Jaws. Before we wrap, I'm curious to hear if if you guys like. For me, this is the best Spielberg film, and I'm I'm curious to hear from you guys uh, where this falls for you, or or if you think a different Spielberg film takes the the top rung of of his filmography. Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I have a soft spot for Jurassic Park. I just can't shake how much I love that movie. It's been a mm-hmm. long time since I've seen that. Like I probably was a teenager the last time I saw Jurassic Park. I, I owe it a rewatch. And uh, the Jurassic World movies, like I, I saw the first Jurassic World, and that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and it just like it just like only get kind worse. of just made all of the others tainted in my mind. But like I, I do owe the original a rewatch at some point. Yeah, Jurassic World does a disservice to Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park is also there's a, a good T Rex and an evil T Rex, and they my fight God. each other to save the humans or to kill them. Yeah, you know? my nephew <laughs> loves that shit. <laughs> Just prove six-year-olds love dinosaurs, big yes, lizards. Oh, if I saw that movie when I was six, I would have fucking loved it. Absolutely. Yeah. He won't like, stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that your favorite Spielberg, Jurassic Park? I think it is. Yeah. I think that is. Well, honestly, that and uh, Schindler's List are. Yeah. Because Schindler's List just hits hard. Like it does. That. And it's just done in a stylistically different way than what Spielberg's done before. And I, it's so personal too, mm. like to, to what he did, which also like, I realized when I was watching Indiana Jones, that the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark is like a, an, exploit, Nazis, an exploitation yeah. film in a way, uh, very yeah. much so like just boil those Nazis alive. Like that shit works. Die you Nazi yeah. bastards. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> Anybody order fried sauerkraut? uh but yeah that that's i I think jurassic park is my top yeah i really dig jurassic park quite a lot i do not like et oh you don't like the raisin man (laughs) for whatever reason i cannot stand et i haven't seen that since i was a kid and it just terrified me as a child like what there's a a creepy hairless dude being friends with this kid this is terrifying (laughs) i'm sorry there's a a creepy hairless scrotum (laughs) yes that's Uh, the real truth yeah (laughs) yeah i was like bored with it as a kid and as an adult i just can't see past the like shittiness of the it's also the just an advertisement it. for Reese's Pieces at the end of the day, right? That's basically what <laughs> yeah. they're doing with that movie. Yeah, and Mac and me doubled down and made it an advertisement <laughs> for McDonald's. <laughs> uh, I have a soft spot for Hook, even though I know it's a terrible movie. Okay. <laughs> oh, boo. Okay. Yeah, Hook I, is bad. Oh, I love Hook. I will say, if, if I call out, like, less heard of, like, like less mentioned Spielberg movies when we talk about them, I do... Mm. I really like Empire of the Sun. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. yeah. I have always liked that one, kind of come back to it. I feel like I stumbled upon it when I was younger and, and have come back to it a few times. Christian and Bale's really, in that, right? Yeah, that was like Christian Bale early. early yeah. Like young, Before young American Bale. Psycho, yeah. Uh, and I also really liked Munich. Uh, and that's oh, what I've gone back to either. a few times. Yeah. I, mm. I feel like that movie's fucking excellent. Um, and it came out and got like good kind of critical reviews and i feel like it's sort of just like that was it and it it passed on i remember that movie came out when i was like 14 and i saw the trailer and i was like oh that looks so good and like i kept trying to convince my dad to let me watch it and it was like rated r and there were some boobs in it or something so i was like never allowed to see it (laughs) bullshit and then i just kind of forgot about it as an adult and never sought it out 
You're telling me that Jaws is your favorite Spielberg film, is what you're saying? Yeah, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I do think Jurassic Park is like a perfectly crafted, put together. And I have watched that one more recently because I watched it again with, with Logan. Of kind of like now that he's hit the PG-13 yeah. category, well, uh, we're going back and watching classics, and I'm like fucking Jurassic Park just hits mm. so many like perfect notes, and the how much the effects work still holds up. Yeah, like, it was the same yeah. thing with Terminator 2. I'm like, it still holds up. Like, the shark looks kind of shitty, and it probably looks shitty in 1975. But those dinosaurs look fucking good. Honestly, yep. ju- the Jurassic Park effects look better than the Jurassic World effects. And yes. it's not yeah. close, honestly. Like, because they actually use animatronics in Jurassic Park, and it looks legit. And Jurassic World is all CGI. Yep. And you're like, though, that looks fake as fuck. Some bullshit. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have Jurassic Park 3D, Dixon. We should watch it sometime. I feel oh. like that. It's the it's like when Spielberg was going through a whole phase, he did Jaws 3D, he did Jurassic Park 3D. Yeah, I just I, I, I'm very hesitant to watch films that were shot in 2D that were then retroactively put out in 3D. It just it's fe- it I would seems say dumb. it is as as dumb as it seems, it is not as gimmicky as it sounds, and it gives quite a bit more scale to the actual animatronics hmm. in it. And Interesting. that's kind of the the fun part of it for me yeah but the rest of it's like fine whatever i do love laura dern so laura dern so does david lynch yep. so yeah there you go. I and i love david lynch <laughs> and i love lamp so <laughs> john are you yeah, just cool. looking at things in the room and saying that you love them i, I, I love we dern in the room <laughs> yeah i love laura dern yeah laura dern's been in the corner this whole time uh, laura yeah. come over here and say something come on <laughs> don't be shy we love David Lynch, don't we, folks? That was my Laura Dern impression. <laughs> I'm fucking breaking down here. God damn it. We told you we were getting drunk during this episode, listeners. This is, uh, you knew this is what was happening. The eventual end. Uh, don't open Ted Dove inside. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's dead dove do not eat oh That's, sorry dead yeah. dove do not eat of course you would remember that <laughs> all right well as, as we're as we're winding down to insanity and smashing radios probably time for us to wrap up here um and that, I that will was catch a... the shark not the fucking coast guard <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna drink all this whiskey before they get here uh that was it and all around the table recommend uh for jaws i have been your host ryan king and with me john garcia the spirits are in me (laughs) (laughs) to finish this off we have michael dixon thanks for putting up with our bullshit you said finish us off Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.